Okay, friends, I'm going to invite you to return to your seats. Thanks for making your way in that direction. Saying to your friends, we'll pick this up again after the service. It's always somewhat of an awkward time as I wait for, for the conversation to settle, but I, I honestly do. I, I, I love the atmosphere that comes with the fact that we need to ask people multiple times to sit down and, and pick up the conversation afterwards because there's this, that sense of family here and so and friendship. And, and the Lord does that and he does it over time. Uh, it's one of the, the main reasons why we, uh, not the main reason why we come, but it's one of the byproducts of coming here is we, we enjoy one another's company and it, it's good to reconnect face to face. I am. Um, just in, in in sitting over here a moment ago asking, how do I start this, Lord? Uh, I thought I heard him say, tell them I'm here. Tell them I'm among them. Um, my, my kids uh, in school uh, from time to time are taught about government, right? And so here in Red Deer, they talk about Ottawa, right? That's a long way away. Or here in Red Deer, they, they talk about Edmonton, right? And the, and the important people there to make decisions on their behalf. We, as we talk about God, he, he's beside you and between us, between us, he is here. Let, let's come to his word from the perspective of him speaking his word as the one beside us. Right. Lord, I thank you so much for the reminder of your presence. We see it in the faces of other people. Your image bearers who reflect pieces of you to us. Though imperfectly, still we, we catch glimpses of you. As we come to your word, it reflects in amazing ways who you are. You, you have breathed your life into it that you might breathe your life through it into us through your word and your spirit. Would you make sure that that happens this morning, Lord? And would you make sure it happens with the sense of you being here among us now? That you, that you not only make your, your presence known by your spirit, your spirit fills us, your spirit fills this place, but you also make yourself known by the fact that you bring people together as your body. That, that we become the body of Christ together. Wow. Thank you, Lord. Lord, as we come to your scriptures today, would you open us to them? Would you open up aspects of our lives that previously had been untouched, that, that previously we hadn't noticed, that previously we had we had ignored or pushed down or thought would we'd never get there, but but you you sneak in through the cracks and the side doors and you slip past our defenses. Lord, would you do so much of that this morning that we'd be transformed? And, and would you make us better worshipers and better um, people who engage with you as the God beside us, the God here among us, the friend, the Savior, the Jesus we love so, so much. Thank you, Jesus. 
Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your word. Where would we be without it? Thank you for your word. Open us to it. You be present in power for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Please grab your Bibles and go to John chapter 3, verse 22. That's where we'll start. As you're scrolling or opening your hard copies, call out for me. What are some of the biggest concerts you've ever been to? It doesn't have to be Christian. Someone said Elton John. Okay. Who opened for Elton John? He opened for himself. <laughs> you don't... Was he, was he the only one? Yeah, I went to a Bob Dylan concert and he didn't have an opening band either. Weird. They're, they're so big, they don't need the openers. Okay, who else? What other big concerts have you been to? Garth Brooks. Oh, country. <laughs> okay, who opened for Garth Brooks? Who? Is that a big name? Is it a small? I, I don't know become bigger okay uh other concerts you've been to Celine Dion who opened for Celine Dion you don't remember was there an opener don't even remember okay um I went to a, a concert as a kid um my family and I we were like I'm talking like grade seven we, we were this fan of this guy named Stephen Curtis Chapman and there was a band from Australia that opened for him. They had this album called Going Public. And there's this song that was pretty good. It was called Shine. And um, before you know it, they, they outshone Stephen Chris Chapman um, and became the Newsboys and, and so on. Um, I remember going to see Jars of Clay. And there was this little British band called Delirious that opened for them. And before long, Delirious very much eclipsed Jars of Clay. Um, I, I went to see Arcade Fire. I don't even remember who opened for them. I, I saw a U2, uh, a little group called Dashboard Confessional open for them. I didn't like them then, don't even know if they're around now. But that is the, it's the opening band has a certain function, right? They're there to warm up the crowd, get them ready for someone else. But, but part of the reason that they do that is so that they can, you know, that, that phrase, that the saying, um, they want to hitch their wagon to their star, right? The star is rising and they want to get their wagon attached to it, right? So, so uh, the newsboys get hitched to Stephen Curtis Chapman in the hope that, that their star will rise, right? That the delirious hitches their, their wagon to, to jars of play and that their star will rise and, um, and, and so on. Right? The, the, the warm-up band, as much as they're, they're, they're being used to warm up the crowd, are very much hoping that they are going to become better known, right? That they're, they're going to be the next rising star. And John the Baptist here plays the opposite role. It, it's very, very interesting. He's the warm-up band. And he says, I don't, I don't want any, I don't want to sell, I don't want to, I don't want my records to outsell who I'm opening for. And you know, we do this to people. You know, it's, that, that's like the concert world, right? But but we often try to associate ourselves with other people with higher status in order that we might share in their their sort of 
popularity status, their limelight, um, that we might, or maybe we, we try to attach ourselves because this is a business on the rise and we want to get in on something. Maybe there's a profit side to it as well. But very often we use people in order that we might share in something of what they've got to increase something for ourselves. John Baptist is the opposite. And so let's go to this in this chapter. John chapter 3, beginning at, beginning at verse 22. I'll be reading from the NIV. After this, so this is after Jesus had been speaking with Nicodemus. Okay? After this, Jesus and his disciples went out to the Judean countryside, where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now, John was also baptizing at a neon uh, near Anon. I'm not sure how you pronounce that, to be honest. Because there was plenty of water there, and people were coming out and being baptized. Now, obviously, this was before John was put in prison. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one that you testified about, look, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. John replied, a person can receive only what is given to them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but I'm sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him, and he is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine, and it is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. Their translations will say, he must increase. I must decrease. Now, some translations stop John Baptist's quotation there. Some of them continue it on. It's hard to know. But either way, the passage goes on and says, The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth, and he speaks as one from the earth. The one, um, the one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. Whoever has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For God, or for he, gives the spirit without limit. Um, some translations will say instead of he gives the spirit without limit, uh, for he gives the spirit without measure. The father loves the son and has placed everything in his hands. Whoever believes in the son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. Now, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although it was not, in fact, Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he, Jesus, left Judea and went, went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? I'm going to leave it there. This is the word of the Lord. Yes. He must increase. I must decrease. We have alluded to this over and over again as we've talked in these last couple months about the relationship sometimes between confession and being filled with the Spirit. And we are seeing that happen actually now 
as I, I, um, the group of, that's been doing soul care, a number of them have said, yeah, I'm going to go through and I'm going to do that full life confession. I'm going to meet with someone and say, I'm going to completely empty myself and confess everything that I can. Because scripture says, confess your sins one to another and pray for another that you may be healed. In other words, there's, there's something that God adds to your life as you empty yourself. Confess your sins one to another and pray for another one another that you may be healed. And so some of these people are doing that. And they are finding and will find that there is blessing that goes with it. God adds to our lives. There is increase that comes as a result of emptying ourselves. We focused a lot on that. What we haven't focused on is what comes just before that line. So look at verse 29. Just the last part of it, where John John talks about I'm not I'm not the groom I'm the one that gets to stand by and watch the groom have an incredibly exciting moment. As as the friend the best man stands next to the groom, he rejoices that his friend is full of joy, and John says that joy is mine. It was my joy to become someone who was not in the spotlight. It was my joy to become someone whose life was no longer about me. It's my joy to, to be someone who points to Jesus. And my joy decreases to the degree that people then focus on me but it increases to the degree that people begin to see Jesus. Like the warm-up band, the conversation we had a moment ago. Very often, we use people or we use God to try to increase our joy by making life more about us and use them to serve us. And we often do this with God. So many of our prayers are about, they could be, essentially be boiled down to, Lord, increase my joy. But the way that the Lord increases John the Baptist's joy is by John the Baptist emptying himself and making sure that Jesus gets the stage. And if I, I challenge myself, I challenge us, that if we begin to empty ourselves more and more and view life as God gets center stage, my only job in life is to make sure that his joy increases. We will find joy we didn't know was even accessible. And it will be because we step into what we were made for. We were made to bring God joy. We, we were made to point to someone else. He must increase. And in order for that to happen, my life must become not about myself anymore. It's about him. Some people love the spotlight. Some people hate the spotlight and don't want it. They want to be out of the spotlight. But whether you want the spot, spotlight or you want to not be in the spotlight, 
both of those people, it's still about them because it's about what you want. It's about what God wants. Our entire lives need to become about what God wants. And if we make it increasingly about what he wants, you will find joy increasing that has absolutely nothing to do with our gift responses. No one can touch that joy. Would you look at verse 34? By the way, Jesus is our example of this. It isn't just John the Baptist who practices, he must increase, I must decrease. Jesus practices that. You know that? What does he do in the garden? What does he pray in the garden? What's the famous prayer in the garden of Gethsemane? Not your will, but mine. Not, not <laughs> I'm such a simple person. <laughs> not my will, but yours be done. Jesus himself practices decreasing that the Lord might increase. He is our example in all things, including this. John the Baptist does it, so does Jesus. Look at verse 34. Either John the Baptist or John the writer, um, it's hard to tell which, says, the one whom God sent, so speaking of Jesus, speaks the words of God for he, you're, and you might notice if your Bible says God, it probably has a little footnote. Um, it says he in Greek, or he, it's ambiguous whether it's talking about God or the Son. He gives the Spirit without limit or without measure. One of the ancient rabbis, so the Jewish teachers, said, the Holy Spirit who rests on the prophets, speaking of the Old Testament prophets, rests on them only by measure. They get enough of the Holy Spirit for the task to which the Lord had commissioned them. In contrast, John says, he gives the Spirit without measure. Your Bible might say without measure, or it might say without limit. The Greek is um, without measure. I was making pancakes this week. I had to measure out a certain amount of the mix, and I had to measure out a certain amount of the water. Right? In order to make that stuff happen. So I turn on my tap, and then I turn it off. So that I get a certain measure. Yes, they were just at water pancakes, unless you were laughing back there that I didn't make them from scratch. <laughs> I'm not going to debate this point. <laughs> scratch is much better. Okay, I concede. Nevertheless, I made just that water pancakes, and I, I turned on the tap, and I turned it on. Right? I measured out the correct amount of water. So that's all that was necessary for that task. When Jesus gets the spirit. God gives him the spirit. So the father gives the son the spirit without measure. He leaves the tap on. Okay. Jesus's life is an overflow of the action of the Holy Spirit. We spoke about this a number of weeks back. 
when we talked about the fact that Jesus does not do or say what he does on his own. He only does what the Father tells him to do and what he sees the Father doing by the power of the Holy Spirit. He does not say or do what he does because he is Jesus, Son of God, second person of the Trinity. The Bible is absolutely explicit about this. And we went over, I'm going to refer you back to that message, but I will give it to you in condensed form now. Philippians 2 says that Jesus, when he became incarnate, emptied himself of his divine rights. He emptied himself, and taking the form of a servant, he became obedient. He emptied himself of his rights. In all of his access to the power and knowledge that God has, he divested himself of that when he became incarnate so that he could live the same life you and I live, only under the power of the Holy Spirit. And Acts 10.38 says, God, so speaking of the Father, anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. In other words, Jesus does not have the power except that the Father has anointed him with the power and with the Holy Spirit. And the result is that he goes about doing good and healing all who are oppressed by the devil for God was with him. That's Acts 10, 38. John will go on and we will come to this in John 5 and, and so on. It, it comes up quite a number of times in the Gospel of John where Jesus says the son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the father doing. The son can speak nothing by himself. He speaks only what the father has commanded him. Jesus lives his entire life dependent on the fact that the tap remains on because he did not receive the spirit with measure. He received the spirit without measure and everything comes out of an overflow of the spirit's activity in his life, which he then promises to his disciples. And we'll come to that in John 7, where he says that of your mouths will flow rivers of living water, which he spoke about the Holy Spirit. You are to be the exact same as Jesus, where God wants to keep the top one in your life and flow out of you to others. He receives the spirit without measure. He receives the spirit without measure. The text is ambiguous, though, as to whether, and so this is, I think, again, one of those many John puns, where it's he could be taken as Jesus, or it could be taken as God. For God gives him the spirit without measure, but he also gives the spirit without measure. So we have John the Baptist, but ultimately Jesus as well, who must decrease that God must in, that in order that God might increase. Jesus models that. He receives the spirit without measure in order that he might go about doing all the things that God wanted him to do. And then we come to this very interesting line in this text. Would you look at chapter four, verse four? It says that he had to go through Samaria. Everett, would you put up on the, the screen the map that I, I loaded on there, please? 
hopefully you can see this. I will point some things out here. He had to go through Samaria. So here's Jerusalem. Okay, down here in the south. Jesus had been talking to Nicodemus in Jerusalem. It says that after he finished talking to Nicodemus, he went out into the Judean countryside, which could be anywhere up here. Okay? This is the Sea of Galilee up here in the north. Right? So this is the region of Galilee up here. You can see where Jesus was born, Nazareth. Right? Samaria is in between. It's in between the region of Judea and the region of Galilee. What Jewish people normally do when they travel between Jerusalem in the south and Galilee in the north is they go down, because Jerusalem is sort of in the mountainous area, they go down to Jericho, which is down here in the, the Jordan Valley. Okay? They travel down to Jericho and they make their way along the Jordan Valley to avoid. Samaria. That's what normal Jewish people do. It is more direct to go from here to here, but you end up having to go through Samaria, and normal Jewish people want to avoid Samaria. So if and in fact, if you often if you actually map out the, the travels that Jesus has, if, if you get you can actually buy atlases like Bible atlases that will show you various routes that Jesus has taken. He went from this city to that city to this city, and so on. And you can you will see that there are times where Jesus takes that route. He goes from Jerusalem down to Jericho and then up along here into the various cities up in, in Galilee and avoids Samaria. So Jesus himself has and will. Take that normal Jewish route of going from Jerusalem, Jericho, along the Jordan Valley, and up into Galilee. Jesus had done it. The normal Jews always do it, or almost always do it. And yet the text says that Jesus had to. How is it that Jesus had to when he doesn't have to? How is it that Jesus had to, but he doesn't have to. It's not the only road. It's not even the normal road. It's not even Jesus' normal road. But he had to. So had to can't mean that there was construction along the Jordan Valley. Okay? It's not, that's not, it's not like, oh, there's construction on Highway 2, we have to take 2A. Okay? How to has to mean something different because it's not the only route. It's not even the normal route. But he had to. Why did he have to? Because he had to meet the Samaritan woman. And how did he know he had to meet the Samaritan woman? Because he must increase and I must decrease. And he receives the spirit without measure, which means that he knows where the Lord is leading him. 
in two or three days time because it's a it's a, about a four day journey from Jerusalem up to Galilee. Just to give you maybe a sense of scale, um, this is about the, the distance from Calgary or from Edmonton to, to Red Deer, Red Deer to Edmonton. That's sort of the scale we're talking about here. So there are a whole bunch of different routes along that way. You can get to Edmonton a number of different ways. You can get up to Galilee a number of different ways, unless the Spirit is leading you. Because if the Spirit is leading you, then you and John can say, I had to. I had to. It's not the only way, but it is for me because I have an appointment in three days' time with someone by a well who's there at the wrong time, and I have to be there for it. If you have a life where he is on the increase and I am on the decrease, if you have a life where the tap is continually being turned on and the Holy Spirit is continuing to flow in increasing measure through your life, then you and I will continue to have increasing, increasing moments of, I had to. You follow that? I had to. I didn't have to, but I did. Because the Lord is leading me. I want a life of increasing moments of, I had to. I had to. And if you know this story, there is an incredible payoff to a life of, I had to. I'd like to invite um, Kevin Bender and, and Sandra Kaji to come up because the council has very much had this experience recently. And if you've read your email, we've shared a little bit about it, but we want to share the story a little bit more of how it came to the point where we felt like, no, we have to. As much as Yep, there's another one right there. There's a this mic there. Let's grab a chair there. There's one here. Our council, as you may have noticed or read recently, has come to the, the realization that the Lord has been leading us to stop offering Zoom as an option for accessing worship services. And it wasn't a decision where we sat down and weighed the pros and the cons of offer. Here are all the benefits that, that come with Zoom. Here are all of the cons of not having Zoom. Here are all of the benefits of not offering Zoom. Here are all the cons of not offering Zoom. It wasn't about weighing pros and cons. So what we're going to do is share with you a little bit of a story of how we were led by the Spirit until we felt we can say with confidence we had to. Okay, so the, the story begins with Sandra, so I'll turn it over to Sandra. That should be on. Um. Yeah, so I'll start by sharing um, just a bit about how I sometimes hear from the Lord. Um, I'm primarily what we would call a feeler, um, which means a few different things. But just in how I hear from God, um, he sometimes starts the conversation um, with impressing just a deep sense within me, um, like that, that strong heart race 
feeling um, that you just can't shake and you know without a doubt that it's from him. Um, so about 10 months ago, um, I had that deep sense about discontinuing Zoom on Sunday mornings. Um, I started to feel like something that was at one time good for our church family had started to become um, unhealthy in some different ways. Um, for me, Sunday mornings began to feel uh, just disjointed and um, restrictive, and like there were just um, just boundaries there. Um, yeah, so I pursued this sense from the Lord, really pressing in and continuing the conversation and ask, asking him to speak um, to me more about it. Um, and in a time of prayer, he gave me a picture of a wall that had um, seven different cords plugged into it. And above each outlet was, um, was a word that was carefully made by, um, by a lady maker, um, specifically one of those like old school with like the thick tape label makers. Um, I believe those words were a warning and a caution of some of the unhealthy things that Zoom was starting to bring within our church family. Um, one of the words was division. Um, anyways, and then uh, a hand appeared and unplugged each cord one by one. And the words reconnection before revival was heavily impressed on me. So I brought this to the council table. And at that time, I was the only one that God was speaking to about this in this way. And knowing that it was um, a significant decision that would impact our church family uh, in some big ways, I think we were wise to, to leave it and not act on that decision to unplug without God confirming it more. And while that sense that we should unplug never left me, I had to just submit it and knowing and trusting that it was from God, I began praying that he would speak to others about it. Thanks, Sandra. Um, one of the reasons why we're sharing this story the way that we are is so that you, not only so that you understand the fuller process behind this, but so that you make the application to your remarks. So uh, as, as each of us and as, as, corp, as, as we do corporately, if we're hearing something from the Lord, and especially if it's a big decision, you don't go running with one thing you heard, right? These things take time to weigh and to test, and you you want, a, you know, Scripture says, let one prophet speak and let the others weigh what is said. Scripture says that lets the testimony be confirmed by two or three witnesses, right? So we, we want to have multiple people hearing the same thing especially when they're bigger decisions. And so Sanders right that the, the council was wise at that time to hear that, weigh it, and then wait for more direction from the Lord because the, the, the picture itself didn't come with direction, right? As many things often do from the Lord. It wasn't go now and unplug, and it didn't come with a timeline. And so what, what we were given was, was the first piece of something when we had to wait. You know? And Sandra was very brave both to share that and then to be willing to say, I submit this now and I wait. Um, the next part of it took um, probably eight or nine months and, and it comes from me. Um, probably since after, after Ravi's weekend here, but more within the last probably six, seven, eight weeks, something like that. 
I, I have, um, as I've been moving through the service week to week, I, I have had this increasing sense of weight on me in a, in a way that was hard to describe, um, weight and restriction. Um, at first, I couldn't process it, and I didn't know what it was. Um, maybe it was myself, or I just I wasn't quite sure what was going on. But it, it was increasing as the, the weeks went on. And it wasn't until we had a, a weekend here, a service, a number of weeks back now, where, where there were so few people you could have off if it was probably only like this amount of people here in like one section that we had on a, a Sunday morning um, for a number of different reasons. Um, and I was locked up here on a stage in front of a camera. And I would never have spoken the way that I, I did that morning had it not been for the fact that I was locked into this, this, this platform this moment. And, and it wasn't simply a, a feeling of a cage. It was that the message itself would have been different because you speak differently to a small group of people than you do to a large crowd, right? I don't know if you've ever noticed that dynamic before, but you have a different interaction like this than, than you do like this, right? And the message itself, would have changed that morning. It would have been more personal and applicable to the people who were here had Zoom not been there. Another example was um, a number of weeks back when Megan was leading, she texted me and said, you know, the, the songs the Lord has been leading me to this morning are, are actually around communion. And I know we're doing communion this morning. Can we do it in the, as part of the worship set at the beginning? And I, that is a fantastic idea. No, we can't. Because we have to do communion in the Zoom portion. Those are two examples. But I was, there were a number of different ways in which I was feeling this increasing weight and restriction and it, it wasn't so much a frustration as more of this, I, I think that this is the Lord impressing something, not, not me sort of bucking against something. Um, so what I did then was I, I shared this with the council. Um, and we'd, we'd actually just recently talked about moving to live stream and we'd gotten kind of sidetracked on that and maybe, uh, maybe at some point we moved to live stream. But I, I shared sort of the, the way that that services had been feeling in terms of my own sense of the spirit's activity and, and how the service was going as a whole with, with the council once again. And we revisited um, not only Sandy's dream, dream, but then we we had to ask the Lord again, what, what is it that you want for services? Because we're not going to add up pros and cons. We, we have to be people who, who get to the point of saying we have to just looking at our text here. And so I, I put this out to the, um, the council and we started to pray about it and discuss it through email. Um, and we got to the point of saying, okay, this we we are getting this sense that this isn't just Ben and this isn't just Sandra. There's this more uh, sense among the council as a whole. Roy and Clinton, by the way, who are other two council members, would have been here this morning, but Kristen was obligated to, to be on the course this morning. And Roy's away. Roy and Murray are away. 
um, but they wanted to share as well. But it, had they been here, they would have shared that this was very much a support of group sense. So this is it. We felt the way the Lord is leading it. Let's test this. So what we did was then say, we're going to take a service and we're, we're not going to offer Zoom that Sunday. And we're going to ask the Lord to, to bring some confirmations. So I talked to Kevin after last Sunday and he said, I felt confirmations that Sunday. So would you share then a little bit about how last Sunday went in your own sense of discernment in this? Sure. Uh, Joel, I'm just going to move your thing down so people can see me. So last Sunday when we made the decision not to have Zoom, we came and it was, it had a, and this is just me personally speaking, a different feel right from the start of the service through the end of it, through Roy's leading, um, Suzanne Burnett was up here singing with him, who hadn't been up here for a long time singing. Through both the song selection that they, that Roy had chosen, uh, the way that they led through us and then led us through that. And then also the testimony from each one of them uh, really spoke to my heart. Ben's message, there was a different feel to that. I just sense a spirit moving in ways I hadn't prior. Is that attributable only to Zoom? I No, I don't think so. I think the spirit was moving, but I think that maybe enabled the Holy Spirit to speak to me more clearly than in, in past weeks. We didn't, we didn't come to this, like Ben has said, we didn't come to this decision just by weighing pros and cons or uh, saying, yeah, maybe we should do this. We prayed about this for a long time. We fasted as counsel and sought the Lord's leading on it. I'll tell one other story that um, confirmed it for me too, where I made maybe would have had reservations. Well, what about when we're away? Because there's been times we've been away and I want to I want to hear what's happening in my church. A few weeks ago, Sam and I were in Tennessee and I talked to Sarah, I think on the Saturday when we were down there. And I said, yeah, we're, I'm kind of looking around for a church to go to. I was looking online and I said, oh, but I said, we might just dial into <clears throat> to Unity. I, I want to hear what Vince speaking about. And Sarah said, I would really encourage you to go to a church there. She said, whenever we've been away and gone somewhere, she says, I am always so blessed and encouraged to worship with other believers in the world. Like this is all the church of God in, in the world. She said, it, it's so such a blessing and an encouragement to my heart when I see the way other people worship. And so we did that. We went to Brentwood Baptist Church between Franklin and Nashville. And we were blessed to be there. And so that part of me, as much as I wanted to be plugged in here, I wouldn't have been here. I would have been just hearing what was going on. But we were present with other believers that were part of the church of Christ in the world. And so that kind of came to me Thursday night at, during our prayer meeting. And then we had a council meeting afterwards as we prayed. And God just reminded me of that. It's like, okay, we... These may be things we want to do, but I, I'm much bigger than this. So anyway, that's that's all I wanted to share. Thanks. Yeah, thanks, Kevin. So so last Sunday there were there were a number of, of things that were confirmations for us that this was in fact the Lord leading us. Um, like Kevin said, the um, 
The testimonies that were shared were shared last Sunday spontaneously because Roy sensed the Lord leading him in that direction. Those testimonies wouldn't have happened had Zoom actually been on. Um, the, the way that the, the music was led last week in terms of the worship um, was able to be that way because there wasn't uh, a restriction around it. So there, there were a number of things. Um, as we as we as a council prayed, Kristen also saw a picture um, that I won't get into, but she she heard something from the Lord. Roy, Roy heard something from the Lord as well. So there was a, a consensus among council that each person was hearing something and, and that this was about um, the Lord asking us to do something that isn't normal. Um, and like I said, not about pros and cons at all. And at the same time, this can sound like a story about removing but but let's bring it back to that it, it is it is it is about taking something away in order that something else can be possible. Um, the, the word that Sandra got at the beginning is reconnection before revival. And the, the sense through the council has been that this is a call to and to once again be and, and embrace and lean into what it means to be an embodied church. And, and so this is a call to be, be together because God works together as, as we are face-to-face -face in a way that isn't possible uh, in other ways, or at least not that he is calling us to. We're not up here saying that this is what every church needs to do. We are, we are only here saying that we have heard from the Lord that this is what he wants us to do at this time. Mm -hmm. Okay, it, and it very much like the message today has been coming to a sense of we had to, we don't have to, but we had to because this is the way that he was leading us. Okay. So one other thing I wanted to say, please. Um, so one other thing too, I remembered from Thursday night that the Lord reminded me of was Acts one and Acts two, and Acts one where it talks about the believers meeting constantly to pray. You know, together and then Acts 2 verse 1 when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost it said they all met together in one place it was just again God reassuring me that or confirming that the importance of us being together physically together in one place mm -hmm. yes thanks for coming up to share um, I'm yeah you guys can have your seats again I'm, I'm really encouraged by, by seeing the way that um the council moved through this as a whole. Um, wise to receive something and then wait on it. Wise to, to process it and make sure we weren't making a decision based on one person's word. Um, I want to be a person that has a life full of I had to of story after story in my life of seeing the Lord at work, and it was because I had to, I had to go do that, and and I am so encouraged to see the Lord doing that here among a group of people, where we come to a sense of no, we had to. I mean, we've already seen it with the way that the Lord has moved a number of times. Some of the big decisions this church has made this past year alone was no, we had to. We didn't have to, but. 
we had to. And this is yet one more example of that. Um, we probably still do this imperfectly. Um, I know I do, but we're learning. And I'm willing to take risks because I think the Lord is leading me to. Let's pray. Lord, I, I pray that you would bring each one of us individually into the life of Jesus and the fullness of the Spirit, having emptied ourselves and seeing you increase. That you bring us to the point of Monday morning saying, I have got to do this. This must be the Lord. I pray that you would increasingly bring us to the point of hearing your voice clearly so that you can speak directions to us and we will recognize them and respond. Yeah. Lord, I pray that you will, you will bring about stories like the one we will get into with the woman at the well. Story after story of lives being transformed because someone said I had to. Because the Lord was leading me in that direction. Lord, would you do this among us corporately? Where as much as we might say, um, we know that there are costs to this and, and um, the ways that it affects people are, are difficult sometimes. And other times it's just inconvenient, but we, we have to. And, and as we as we walk in obedience to our best understanding of the ways that you are leading us, I pray that you will confirm that with stories like this one of the woman at the left corporately, that we would see lives transformed because a church says we will do what the Lord wants because he must increase we must decrease. And I, I pray and claim in advance the joy that comes. So Lord, would you make us people not of sort of grumbling submission, but would you make us people who joyfully step out of the spotlight, step out of what we would want, lay down our ourselves and our own personal desires, so that your joy might increase and our joy might increase because your joy increases. Lord, would you make us people who delight in putting a smile on your face? Jesus say, Amen. Rachel needs to back up. Yeah. Read us in some more worship.
May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. He's coming, friends. He's coming. Go in peace.